Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area, and with me, as always, are my two co-hosts. I'm Hwai Chen Bui, a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in New York. And I am Anya Crittenden, a writer and editor in Los Angeles. Well, listeners, this week is a very exciting episode for us because we're talking about something that we love very deeply, something that HT and I have loved for a very long time, which we have mentioned on this podcast before, and something that Willoughby is a newer fan to, but still a fan. Right, Willoughby? Yes, you could say that. I am a big fan. Trying to, <laughs> I wish I, I can't. I, I could see you like formulating a pun, but not. You were like trying so <laughs> hard. I don't know how to make demon into a pun. Oh, yeah. spoiler alert. Uh, Spoiler alert. What are we talking about, Anya? We are talking about uh, Philip Pullman's His Dark Material series. Uh, We're doing it this week because HBO premiered their new television adaptation of the book series last week. So one episode has aired, which we will discuss a little bit. Um, And then we will do a kind of spoiler-filled general discussion review of the book series and why we're a big fan. Um, So His Dark Materials uh, is a trilogy series that was originally published uh, first in 1995. The first book is called Northern Light, so it was published as Golden Compass in North America. The second book, Subtle Knife, was published in 97. And the third book, Amber Spyglass, was published in 2000. And he, Philip Pullman, also continued this uh, universe with La Belle Sauvage, the first book in a new trilogy called The Book of Dust, which came out in 2017. So this world is still expanding, uh, still happening, and it's a fun sci-fi fantasy series that uh, explores parallel universes, magic, theology, politics, science, and physics. Um, It garnered both praise and criticism uh, for its discussion of religion and uh, its rather pointed criticism of organized religion. Um, so it's been considered kind of the antithesis of uh, C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, which are a very religious uh, series, fantasy series. And so his dark materials kind of is uh, what people consider the opposite of that. It's um, the atheist Narnia, basically. It's right, the yeah. atheist Narnia. Is what There's talking animals that they hate God. Yes, exactly. And, you know, one of our heroes, anti-heroes, uh, Asriel is, you know, he's he's not the biggest uh, God fan, you could say. Um, before, wait, before you go on, Anya, because you do mention Lord Asriel, we ha- and we just mentioned Darnia, we do have to talk about the tumness in the room. We have to talk <laughs> about the fact that James McAvoy starred in the hit film, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as uh, the beloved beloved fawn, Mr. Tumnus. He did. That's where I first fell in love with him. 2005. A sweet angelic uh, baby fawn boy. And then in uh, 2019, stars as a gray-haired, vitriolic, kind of violent super uncle uh, who plans to... uh, destroy organized religion and spends uh the entire first episode on a grant proposal <laughs> he's uh he's lived long enough to see himself become the atheist anti-hero 
You know, that's, that's so funny because I've been covering his dark materials for like a month now. I wrote a review of it, which you can read on slashfilm.com. And I'm doing a weekly recap of the episodes. And that didn't even occur to me. I was just like, oh, I was just so excited about seeing this series come to life. In that a way, didn't even, like, I didn't even, it didn't even like occur together. to me. I was just like, wow, yeah. this is so great, guys. James McAvoy's Lord Azriel, which is not a casting that I would actually have done and not something that I'm completely on board with yet. But that is really funny how full circle that's come around. That is pretty right. He's more, he, you know, he's more of a, a sweet little fawn mm-hmm. and not a god killer. Um, until now. Until now. Until now. Um, Mr. Thomas strikes back. So we're going to start off um, how we usually do with episodes like these. Uh, we're each going to talk about our relationship with these these books and the series. Ixchi and I have mentioned our deep love for the series before, but we're going to get into more detail on that for a little bit. And then we're going to jump into a spoiler-free general review of the first episode and what we're looking forward to in this new adaptation. And then we will dive into just a reflection on the books um, which will be filled with spoilers, most likely. So, warning for that. And that will be our episode. And I'm really excited for this one, guys. I'm really excited um, about this, too. So, Willoughby, why don't you start us off um, as the newest fan of Philip Pullman's Oh, by the way, series. I got it. For the pun that Willoughby was thinking of earlier. Convert. <gasps> hey. Convert. Because oh. it's about religion. I like that. I like that. So, Willoughby, tell us about your conversion to uh, Atheist Narnia. Sure. Um, so, as a, as, a, as a child, um, it's, yeah, I, was, I guess I was a child when the first, when the, when the Narnia movie came out and then the Golden Compass movie came out like a year later. Uh, they were like back to back in terms of like one to two punch of a religion discussion in in the media uh and i wasn't i was sort of how do i put this uh i was going to church regularly throughout my entire elementary school life and you know had besides the fact that i went to sunday school and went to church like like i was like in it you know except for it being like boring because church is boring um but like i wasn't like an atheist or like i didn't hate religion or anything like that i was a 12 year old i was like cool get to see my friends on the weekends this is fun let's talk about god and jesus and all that and the narnia movie was good i really liked the narnia movie and then i hear about this like anti-narnia propaganda film that's gonna (laughs) turn you atheist and i'm like i don't want that no i don't i like i just i'm not gonna read about that when i could when i could read about narnia and read about like this this talking lion that can do its own thing and not about the polar bear. Um, so I co- sort of like, I didn't really get into, I didn't watch the Golden Compass movie. I didn't read the books. And so like, I sort of stayed away from that. Just, just, and it wasn't even like, mal- like malevolent staying away. It was just sort of like, well, I don't have to worry. I'm the, the I heard the movie's bad. I'm not going to read the book. And so it was always like a, a, a case of judging the movie uh Judging the book by its movie, which we've talked about on Percy Jackson, we've talked about on earlier discussions of his dark materials. I just sort of the bad the the bad movie adaptation and the conversation around it sort of pushed me off for reading it. And then last year, um, 
I got into reading the books just because I've heard so much great things about it from you guys. And I heard that there was a TV adaptation coming. So I was like, okay, this is going to be a big thing. I should probably figure out what the, what the hell is going on with this book series. Um, and so I, I read the books and fell deeply in love with them. And I really love them. And it's been like a year since I read them. Because I remember finishing the third book on Veterans Day last year, which was around this time. We're recording it like a day before the holiday. Um, so it's been like a year since I've been able since I read the series, and I really love it. I think I talked about it on the podcast when I did read it, but I'll say again that I just I think the world, the worlds, the universe that Philip Pullman created is so great and interesting and blends science fiction and fantasy in a way that I haven't like haven't seen before in the way that science is magic to some worlds and magic is science to others like just the way that those cross over and how like what dust is to other universes and like what it means to different people and how this like element of nature that is hard to discuss is, is like, you know, confuses and confunds civilizations across all, like, multi, like, across the multiverse in such a way that is so compelling. And the narrative of, like, it's all, like, the chosen one narrative, it's all, you know, it's all up to Lyra to see, you know, to solve the problem. But also she's got friends along the way and enemies that become friends and friends that become enemies. And there's talking animals, which is always fun. Um, <laughs> and, like, there's a talking polar bear. Why did I stay away from this series for 17 years, Willoughby? What are you doing? Um, and the polar bear is very good, and I, I, I love him, and I want to hug him. Uh, he would not hug you back, but... <laughs> no, he would. He, he absolutely would, because I would make him. <laughs> he, would, he, he only hugs Lyra. He only hugs Lyra. I, I would hug but him then again, because he only I would him hugs in a feat of strength. I would win. I would hug him. Okay. Um... <laughs> No, so yeah, the, the the book series was really good and it has like just great world building is so fantastic, guys. It's like the best world building and worlds building because there's multiple worlds. Like that's not a, really a spoiler. It's just part of the, the universe. And I really like the idea of going north and like going to the north as like this mysterious realm. Um uh, fun fact, I've been to Svalbard, which is the, where the first book takes place. It is an archipelago above Norway, and it is very cold. Uh, I went there when I was on a cruise to to Norway with my parents in 2007. Um, and uh, unfortunately, went, we went during the summer, so we weren't able to see the Northern Lights uh, or dust or anything. Uh, but uh, it was cool nonetheless. I have pictures that I'll show you guys. You may, you may have seen the pictures. Um, but yeah, so it's just such a good, well-written story of triumph over, like, evil in a way. Like, yeah, evil, I guess. But it's also complicated. And there's, like, morality that you have to, like, solve. Uh, and there's, like, I don't know. There's a lot so of that. Bad. And also talking animals that are your soul... And who doesn't want their we soul to be, like, a it. lifelong animal partner in your life? And like, like, who doesn't want that? A little personality test, too. Like, an indicator of who you are as a person. Right. It's amazing. Yeah. I, well, I think we're going to save this. But by the time this episode ends, we will all reveal what our demon 
would be. So you haven't thought about this? Oh, no, I thought about it. I haven't thought about it since I was a kid, though, because, like, when I first read it, I'm like, this is what my demon will be because it was my favorite animal at the time. So now it's like it would have settled by now. Yeah, I just – I don't think it would be the one that I thought of as an adult or thought of as a kid, but I haven't thought of what I would be now. You know what I mean? We have to – Well, maybe by the end we'll discuss possibilities. Mm. So so think about Um, that. Um, But – Unlike – yeah, so, like, unlike Philip Pullman, I am not as good with words. So I just want to say that the series is really good, and I, and uh, I can't wait to watch the TV show. Spoiler alert: I think it does a really good job of ad- adapting the world, at least from the first episode. Um, but yeah, I think I definitely give it a recommendation for anybody who's been trepid, trepid, trepid with it. Or what's, what, what's the word I'm thinking of? Who's had some trepidation? Trepid has had trepidation with the series if you if you're only basing it on what you've heard about through misconstrued arguments against it as well as a poor ad poor film adaptation uh i definitely re- recommend the series uh yeah that's my thoughts on his dark materials oh all right all right anya, why don't you go next anya yes okay. i want to hear your story Okay, um, I'm gonna get a little a little personal with this one, um, if that is all right with you guys. Okay. No, impersonal only. <laughs> we cannot be friends or delve um, into secrets of the universe. Yeah, go for it. What's up? So I first read this trilogy um, in high school, and I will just start right off the bat that I immediately loved it. I think it is exceptional world building, as Willoughby said. I love the moralities of it. Um, I love the fantasy elements of it. I want a demon so badly. Um, but it it was a much deeper uh, thing for me personally and came at a, po- a very critical point in my life uh, when I first kind of discovered the books and read them. Um, so like Willoughby was saying, I also grew up going to church. Um, I grew up Episcopalian. And I went to church pretty much almost every Sunday with my parents. Um, And I, you know, when I was younger, I got pretty involved. I was like a little acolyte. I don't know know what they're called anymore. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I like became like a little acolyte. And I was like really involved and like really loved that environment um, and like that community. And as I started getting older, um, it was in middle school that I started to kind of question you know, religion and faith and God. Um, and, you know, I was very fortunate to have very supportive parents who kind of let me explore as I needed to. Um, and eventually in the middle school, I stopped going to church altogether. Um, and I, you know, at first kind of explored agnosticism. Um, that's kind of how I was feeling the unsureness of it all. Um, and not really, like, caring, I guess, so much. Um, and then, you know, I, I read more. I read, um, like, Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens, um, who are both very problematic people in their own right. But uh, during that time kind of helped me realize that I was not alone in uh, my feelings of doubt and all of and skepticism. Um, so they, they were very important to me growing up. Um, now I have more complicated feelings on them. Um, but uh, around high school is when I kind of decided that no atheism was like what I truly believed. Like I I kind of came to an acceptance, an understanding that I did not believe in any higher power 
um, at all. And I still don't. I'm, you know, Shaniac to the core. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Don't believe in anything, this one over here. Um, But it became much more of a test than I was uh, anticipated because I had people in my life, were not my parents, who were less supportive of uh, this, this, this belief or lack of one that I had. Um, and there were some very trying times for me, uh, in high school, including interventions, um, to kind of make me come back to religion. Um, you know, uh, Christmases were a little awkward where like one year I received a gift from a family member. I received one gift and it was a book called how to find your way back to God. Um, I remember crying the entire car ride home because I, you know, didn't feel kind of accepted and all those things. Um, and so it was very, it was a very tough time for me, um, because, you know, I had come to this understanding within myself, but other people were really pushing back on me about it. And I mean, it was kind of hard because, you know, it was in high school, I was still a kid, really. Um, and so in high school is when I read historic materials. I also read The Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky, in which one of the brothers is an atheist, and like that had a huge impact on me. But so reading those kind of books, reading Richard Dawkins, like it really helped me feel less alone um, and more, you know, confident that even if there were people who didn't support this, uh, I, you know, was not a terrible person for it, and et cetera, et cetera. So. Um, His Dark Materials, long story short, became kind of a refuge for me. Um, And, you know, I was not only like enamored by the world and the characters and the story, but, you know, I I felt sort of seen and validated almost in a way. Um, And so it just became very important to me during that time. And, you know, I've loved it ever since. And I'm, you know, much more at peace like with my atheism and with people in my life who who questioned it. Um, and so I'm, you know, much better now. Now I can just kind of fangirl um, how much I'm in love with Azriel and things like that. But um, yeah, so the historic materials means a lot to me in a very personal way. And I'm grateful that it exists. And I think that it is one of the best like fantasy book series out there uh, for any age really, honestly. Um, And I think it's really important and really special. Um, And I always look forward to rereading them. I've reread them countless times now, and uh, I'm excited for the TV show. And, you know, Justice for the Movie, which had a perfect cast, but it is impossible to tell the story in a two-hour movie. So, like, they were doomed from the start, really. Um, But that cast was perfect and they deserved better they, did. um, they so, didn't even finish the first book no they, they did not because they're like we want to leave it on a happy note and then oh, they didn't God. and they didn't go to the climax of the seat of the movie at they all finish the book. i know it was it's pretty terrible um so that is my journey with this series um got a little dark and personal there for you so welcome to the pod wow anya i'm so glad you shared that with us and my story isn't nearly as personal. I, I feel like I'm bad for following up now. No, no, I was, no. I mean, like, I you like, still... I was, a, I, was a, I was a good Christian boy that I, re- I didn't read the books for 20 years. <laughs> yeah, no, I was the bad Christian girl, and it ended up being, like, helping interventions with my family, and it was, oh, oh, it was a time in my life. Um, 
Well, but you know, that's fine. But I mean, your love HD is still just as deep in just your own personal way. So it's like it, you're comparing apples and oranges. It's, yeah. Let's let's hear about your your history with this series because you love it so much. I do. It definitely has colored my own perceptions of the um, TV series, which I admit has its flaws. But because I love this series so much, I just kind of am willing to overlook some of those flaws. Um, but I don't have the necessarily have the relationship with religion that you guys have, or at least with organized religion. Uh, my mom is my mom's side of the family is Catholic, and so I would you know go to church on. Uh, Easter or Christmas but that was kind of the extent of it my parents never even baptized me so I never really had that relationship and going into uh, his dark materials I kind of just approached it as this really intriguing really gripping and quite confusing fantasy series Um, I read it I first stumbled upon it when I think I was like 11 or 12 years old and I read the entire trilogy. Um, I sped read it through it. I just kind of swallowed it up really rapidly. And um, I didn't really, after I finished it, I didn't really understand exactly what I had read. So I waited a year and I reread the entire trilogy again. And um, it kind of became a little sort of tradition for me in, I think, up until high school, that I would just reread the entire entire His Dark Materials trilogy, um, out, even after like I kind of understood more what it was what it was trying to do. I just um, it became such a formative part of like my childhood reading experiences and um, what I loved about fantasy and sci-fi and parallel worlds and rich world building and all that. That I just kind of it became a, a sort of constant for me, and I I always really loved being able to go back to it um but I remember I when I read it I I was just so struck by again like how rich these worlds were and um parallel universes too to me was always sort of like my catnip I always really enjoyed the idea of alternate worlds so alike so like our own but so just so dissimilar and it was it opened such a rich um world of possibilities to me and I love to see that happen in um his dark materials again like later like, uh stories that I would latch on to like fringe like full metal alchemist all have to do with parallel worlds so something that like I that really appealed to me but at the end of the day his dark materials um in with all of its you know theology and philosophies and I and themes about killing God at the end of the day it really is just a coming of age story and I think that's what appealed to me so much as a young girl um seeing like this character who is kind of like that typical fantasy heroine she's not like other girls she's very spunky and fiery and adventurous but her story actually ends up being about um not just like saving the world through like her fighting prowess but through finding love and coming of age and I found something really beautiful in that in that like the fate of the world hinges upon just this girl going through that that very universal experience of falling in love for the first time and um, achieving adulthood and I think that's what his dark materials like sets itself apart from in terms of like other children's and YA fantasies is that it, it really stems uh, boils down to this real 
beautiful uh, universal experience. Uh, and I too like love reading into it and how uh, despite like not really having that relationship with, with religion, I was always really enjoyed sort of religious sort of themes and um, backdrops and uh, the the idea that this was sort of an inversion of Milton's Paradise Lost always really fascinated me and, the, and that sort of like uh, re- deconstruction of what original sin was. So I, I this is a, a series that every time I read it, I find something new to sort of glean from it. And even now, like I think I, the last time I reread it was last year or maybe two years ago. I just kind of accidentally reread the entire series. And um, I I just was, I appreciate it so much. And it really still um, holds up despite like it being so ingrained in my own nostalgia for that time in my life. But um, it's it's such great storytelling and it's such great world building and the characters are so rich and interesting and it goes in such dark, weird places that I did not expect this more sort of child adventure to begin with. And um, yeah, I just, I love his deck materials, guys. And I'm so happy that we all share in this love. Yeah, this series goes buck wild and I can't wait to see what the TV show does with it. Yeah. And like- I think... It, it's just sort of insane because like when I, when I, I knew of the golden compass and like a general idea of like what it was, like, it was like, you know, a girl goes on an adventure and there's talking animals, but I, and there was something called dust and it's supposed to be like the sin or whatever, like materialized versions of sin or something. So I was like, I don't really know what's going on. And so when I finally read, like when I got to the part where I'm like further beyond the movie, like the second and third no- novels, just go like 10 times more buck wild than I could have ever imagined. But also it's so like well written and, and like the story is so well done that I'm just sort of like, why isn't every story like this? It's really funny because the first book is so simple. It's basically, it's very like, it's a rescue plot. It's basically about this young girl living in this world where, you know, your, uh, conscience uh your your soul rather takes the form of an animal that can walk beside you and um her friend gets kidnapped so she must go north and rescue him and it's very simple it's very like straightforward with some more deeper elements seated in but not taking the foreground um and that's actually where i find the tv series and its sort of creative divergences really interesting especially in the first episode. So I think that's a good way to segue into uh, what we think of the first episode, which just uh, premiered on HBO last Monday. Um, yes. Yes. So on November they, 4th. They air on, they air on Mondays because mm-hmm. Watchmen's got that prime Sunday slot. Yeah. Although funny thing is that it airs on BBC the night before, so all the British, yeah. oh, <laughs> all the UK sees it the why. night before us. Yeah, all the Brits, all the Brits. That's classic um, Doctor Who. They get it a five hours earlier than we do. They yeah. do simulcast now with Doctor Who, though. I'm pretty sure. Do, do they? Oh, I well, I remember in college we would get we would have to watch Doctor Who on BBC America mm-hmm. five hours. I remember after that struggle. I remember that BBC too. Yeah, because I remember. The Doctor Who Tumblr page. This is a real deep cut, guys. The Doctor Who Tumblr page would reblog gift sets that had already been made, and 
I always wondered how the fuck do they get the gift sets created so quickly as because they've had five hours to work with them. Yep. So, uh, yeah, uh, that was a wild time, 2012. Um, but yeah, we're talking about His, His Dark, Dark Materials, Materials, a BBC HBO co-production. Yes. Um, it is written by Jack Thorne, who um, co-wrote The Cursed Child's uh, book with uh, J.K. Rowling. And uh, it's directed by Tom Hooper, he of the controversial oh, prestige movies and Cats. We got, we got Hoops doing it. We yeah. got We got Catboy. We got, we got the, um, oh, what's it called? Uh, I really need you to stop, Wolves. I really need you to stop. I need, I the, do not call them the Hoops. Do not mention the hoops. Cats. Let's the Hoops, man. Yeah, we got Tommy Hoops on the, on the line. Tommy Hoops. <laughs> Tom Hooper directed the first two episodes of His Dark Materials and and thus sets sort of the the house style for this series, which is probably my least favorite part of the um, the series so far, despite um, my excitement for it and despite a lot of the other elements really clicking with it. But um, before I get into like deep into all of my thoughts about His Dark Materials, I wanted to know what your guys' thoughts about the first episode was. Um, Willoughby, why don't you go first? I thought Tommy Hoops did a good job with it. Uh, no, I thought the it was I, like le- leg- legitimately serious, though. I really enjoyed the first episode, and I think it did a really good job of of showcasing who Lyra is as a character and who uh, Roger is. Yeah, is her friend's name. Roger. I was very, um, and and like I think McAvoy does a really good job of like indicating just how exactly intense Lord Azrael is. Um, and uh, I just love that, like I said earlier, this episode is a grant proposal episode. <laughs> <laughs> and the only way to get funding is to showcase uh, the head of your predecessor and basically say, I could do a better job. Um, and I th- there's some really cool, I like the, the way that they show... Um, the, the the photos that Azrael takes and also like how those are like how he how the dust is infused with the version of the photos with the different nitrate or whatever the fuck mm-hmm. um, and but then also like I think that it tells us to, it, it it sets up the world in a really good way I think there's some things that they had to do through through that opening text that I don't that I think is it's a little harder to convey through just visuals like like if you really want to set like the this is this is who these creatures are and this is and that we are in a different world like it's hard to do that through just the text of the of the show without having like explicit dialogue from Azriel or Lyra saying this is my demon he's a ferret um and and like he's part of, he's he's my soul creature whereas if you just have the text being like this is this is the, this is how the world works get used to it um and i think that that was that was a pretty good idea uh, idea to do that um and it and like i think the opening title sequence was really cool and i think overall like it, it made me want to watch more which i think is what a pilot should do uh especially for a pilot that reimagines a book series that was already previously maligned through a movie adaptation that's those are my thoughts yeah no i agree i really agree with the point of like kind of throwing you in and like not over explaining things like i really appreciate that like you know there's the text about the demons at the beginning and then like that's it 
like there's no more on it and it's like just this is the world and you kind of have to accept it as it is like the, the first episode doesn't explain like the Egyptians really or who they are or kind of like why they live in a stratified society in Oxford it just kind of says this is the world and you need to accept that and like this is where we are now and I really like that um you know it, the show actually starts with the end of La Belle Sauvage instead of you know, where exactly the Golden Compass starts, which I also appreciated, um, you know, because they're kind of taking Philip Pullman's story as a whole and, you know, you know, not just kind of uh, piecing it together. Um, so I really love that. I, I agree completely as well, Willoughby, that, like, it just makes you want to watch more. Um, this was kind of like an event. I remember Monday night, I like literally turned off all my lights. I like lit candles. I poured myself a glass of wine. I was in a robe and I was home alone. And I was like, this is an event for me. And I just sat there and it was just me and the episode for an hour. And it was so great. Um, and I already can't wait to watch more. I think I really like the casting so far. I think it might've been you HT. We were talking that you said like James McAvoy was like, you were, you're kind of afraid that he might be too charming Mm -hmm. for the role of Asriel. And I kept that in mind watching the pilot and I, I can see it in glimmers. Um, and I mean, he just, you know, he's that charming Scotsman, like uh, James, (laughs) James. That's Um, quality. But I actually like, I found him to be pretty, pretty savage. Mm in the pilot. Um, and I hope it keeps up because Azrael is, you know, not, you know, I, I keep saying like anti-hero for a reason because he is, he is a hero in his own way, but he is very rough around the edges and kind of brutal and, um, relentless. And, you know, I, I, so far just in the pilot, I think James McAvoy is doing a good job of that. You know, like, um, he's not falling into the trap of trying to set up a relationship with Lyra, even though like he does care for her, um, you know, and he's, he's pretty scary and he has a mission and no one will get in the way of that mission for him. Um, so I'm excited to see what he does with the role, but yeah, I thought the first episode was great and I love that there was not over explaining, um, in Jack Thorne's script. I thought some of Tom Hooper's directorial choices were... Not my favorite. Um, his, his, his way around his way around a camera is questionable. Breaking those rules. Breaking those he really lower third likes rules. that. He really likes that intense close up where you just see like ah god the the the, the close up the shaky cam is still happening yeah. the like the camera movements that kind of make you feel nauseous and you're like there is no need for this bizarre amounts of negative space and random shots. Um, so like still that. not my favorite as well as Mr. Robot does it. <sighs> still not my favorite director, but I will say I'm enjoying Jack Thorne's script um, mm-hmm. immensely and and the cast so far. Um, and I'm just really excited to see where it goes. Um, HT, talk to us about the first episode. Um, you've seen the first four, mm-hmm. so if you can give kind of a spoiler-free, you know, uh, review or response to kind of the fact that you've seen more of this series so far. Mm-hmm. I think um, I think the best way to describe what I've seen of the season so far is that it feels incredibly validating um, because this is a series that fans of the of his dark materials have always sort of argued that it's a sh- it's a story that deserves to be taken seriously and shouldn't be seen in the vein of all the Harry Potter fantasy knockoffs that kind of popped up 
in the aftermath of Harry Potter's massive success. And it's something that deserves to stand on its own. I do think that uh, the first couple episodes go out of their way to try to prove uh, that this is you know, a grown-up series now. And it tries to, do, to lean into some of those darker, more mature elements, sometimes at the cost of the, the energy and like the vibrance that I really enjoyed with the first with the His Golden Compass book. Um, in the first episode, for example, I did miss the um, some of the world building elements in which you're introduced to Lyra's world of Oxford and how she, um, you know, like the mud wars between her and the townies. I feel like Apes establishes so easily like what kind of person she is and how kind of loved by the town she is and. Um, we miss some of that and she feels a little bit more isolated. Um, but we kind of sacrifice that in favor of some of the grander world building schemes and some of the foreshadowing for later events and later, uh, later books. Especially in the second episode, we see some major foreshadowing. So I will say that I, I lo- I'm so excited about this uh, series because it, definitely has its eyes on the prize it's something that has something it has like the intention of telling the full story uh which is really exciting because in the last adaptation we saw uh the golden compass 2007 movie we only saw a very tiny part of that and something that never got completed and it was very much like that harry potter knockoff generic fantasy story but here it's trying to tell a richer story and trying to sort of level the playing ground for the later crazier, kookier events that happen. And so basically it takes, it's, it's, it kind of takes away some of that some more, more childish fantasy adventure elements from the first book and seeds in some more of the later darker elements early on in a way that I think is incredibly validating and incredibly satisfying for fans. Though I do wonder how it will play with newcomers to this series. So for me, I was just so incredibly excited to see this world come to life um, in the first episode and in the later episodes. Uh, And I think that was something that was shared between all of us. But I do, I have seen some reactions where people aren't familiar with the story are left kind of confused by the first episode. And I do think that, I, I do like how it thrusts you into that world and doesn't give that explanation. But um, I do think that like by taking an approach where it is so intent on like getting to that end goal that it does sort of sacrifice like, you know, building up to that. Um, so actually one thing that I that really struck me is that it's n- no longer trying to give us that sort of Harry Potter-esque, uh, you know, vibe of being this more childish adventure because it's kind of, it's, it's becoming more, it's, it's trying to be more adult. Uh, instead, I think that it's, mu- this, his dark materials is more influenced by the approach of Game of Thrones in that it lends like 
equal weight to the fantasy elements as well as to the character drama. And I think that emphasis on character drama is something that like really comes forward in later episodes. And uh, the idea too of sort of intersecting storylines that don't, or like rather parallel storylines that don't intersect until later. Like the whole idea of the Egyptian storyline and Lyra storyline being sort of separate at the beginning until like later on. Whereas earlier on we see Lyra and the Egyptians having some sort of interactions. Whereas here it's kind of like, oh, these different storylines happening. And it's something that I feel very Game of Thrones, is, is very Game of Thrones inspired. Um, I feel like what I'm saying sounds a lot like criticism, but I did really enjoy this. And I think that the first episode is actually kind of a shaky start compared to how strong the later episodes get. Once you find, once things finally start to like get rolling and Lyra's story starts to get more involved with the Egyptian's story and we see some of the later parts of the book kind of come into play and Yorick Bernson especially starts to like appear. That's when I feel like the series really kicks off. And um, I, I think that like what this series is doing by like having that the eye on the prize is that it just is more satisfying as it goes along. It's kind of like a wait-and-see approach. Um, and it's a world that like is a little bit jarring, I guess, to sort of start into, but you slowly are so immersed into it and so involved by the story that you kind of don't notice by how, how invested you are towards the end. And I think it's really exciting in that, that regard. It's just like you just get really involved in it and uh, the story still holds up so well that um, even if there are some like stumbles along the way, I think that it's just it's a show that is one of my favorite new shows of the season. Yay! Yay! That makes me so happy to hear. And I mean, I don't know. I it didn't really sound like criticism to me so much mm-hmm. as just this is what the show is, mm-hmm. and you know, it's going to have faults and it's going to have you know good aspects. And I think also like you are someone who wants it to be you want it to be the best and you want it you hold it to these expectations and you're like saying you know hey this is a pretty special thing you have here treat it well exactly so hold on i need to know what your i need to know your thoughts on uh uh jamesy boy jamesy boy jamesy boy um i i don't i i I'm not totally Be convinced. I'm not totally convinced on his casting because I do think that he is naturally so charismatic and so easily slips into that sort of hero role that right. it's hard for me to buy him as sort of that anti-hero. And because the first episode is so focused on him too, it's like you know how when Disney markets their animated movies around princesses. And basically tries, like, ups the role of the male lead, despite it being about, right. like, yes. the female character. That's kind of what I felt like with okay. the first episode of His Dark Materials. I'm like, Asriel's cool, but why is he getting, like, equal screen time as Lyra? That's, like, kind of my issue, I think, with Could the you... first episode. Okay. I'm like, well, I want okay. a more Lyra story. Does it, um, is, does this remain a constant throughout the first four episodes? Kind of. It's actually interesting because... Lyra is like maybe one third of the story. I wonder if it's because they are setting up to tell the entire trilogy. That's definitely the case. And so like they know um, that Ezreal becomes, excuse me, that Ezreal becomes a very critical figure and he is, you know, 
he is someone who really sets the plot in motion Mm -hmm. and his role in the story is what um, really adds to some of the world building and the reader's understanding of this world. Um, And arguably Asriel is sort of almost the Philip Pullman character. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I wonder if they're just positing him that way because they are anticipating to tell the whole story and they know that his role is critical. And so they're kind of setting it up now. Um, Not saying whether or not that's right or wrong. Um, I just, that's how it comes across to me. Like why they're making that choice. Yeah. Although the first episode is the most that we see of Asriel. So it's just kind of like he starts it off. Cause he's like, yeah. And I would, I would argue that it's like, right. Like he, again, it's his exploration of dust that kind of sets things in motion, the the bigger plot in motion. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the plot with the gobblers is, you know, you know, less about that and stuff, sort of, they tie together anyway. Um, but like, you know, the, the big overarching plot of the entire series, the entire like trilogy is sort of started by Asriel. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's probably why they, featured him so much in the pilot that's the impression I got was they were like uh thinking about the bigger picture yeah that's definitely um, the case uh with this series it's like it's very big picture right but I do think that um despite being so big picture it is able to tell some really effective character drama because of how good the performers are like I do criticize McAvoy as Asriel but I do I still think he's a great actor um uh, so he is great in the part, um, but especially Ruth Wilson, who is phenomenal. Oh, oh my God. MVP I mean, of the series. Mrs. Coulter. Mm-hmm. She is just fantastic. Like where Mrs. Coulter in the books has always been kind of depicted as sort of this ice queen. Uh, Ruth Wilson gives this real fiery edge to her in a way that's almost primal and visceral and it's so, like, unpredictable that it's just, like, it's gripping to watch. It's, she's amazing. I just want to rave about Ruth Wilson. See, episode two especially is a great showcase for her. She's just, she's so chilling uh, at the same time as being, like, incredibly fierce and terrifying. So, yeah, Ruth Wilson as Mrs. Coulter. Amazing. Honestly, like. I'm sad we never got to see Nicole Kidman sink mm-hmm. her teeth into that role yeah. more and kind of the the journey that Mrs. Coulter takes because I think that Nicole Kidman could have been oh yeah really phenomenal as Mrs. Coulter. I mean, she was already good in the movie, I think. But, like, I think, you know, as her journey, as the character's journey goes on, like, Nicole Kidman could have had a lot of fun with that role, I think. Um, For sure. I think everyone was Ruth perfectly Wilson cast is... in, the, in the movie, too. But Yeah, but Ruth Wilson. Ugh. She's, She's so on another level. Um, and yeah, the, I think the performances are great. Daphne Keene grows into her role. I think at first she's a, she, you can see she's a little bit uncertain, but, um, towards the end, especially you kind of, you do like get to see sort of her charisma and why people are drawn to her. And I think she does grow into it and I, uh, in a really exciting way, and especially in her, um, her, uh, exchanges with, Lin-Manuel Miranda's character, Lee Scoresby, they have some really fun sequences. I was going to ask for all the fans at home, can you tell us if Mr. Lee Scoresby shows up within the first four episodes? He shows up in episode four. All right, so listen out there, fans. He is very dashing. It's really, it's very funny because I think I talked about this in my um, 
sort of first reactions to the um, the episode, like teasing my review. He's very theatrical, and he almost injects this sort of more lighthearted comedic uh, energy into the, ser- the series, which actually I think it needs because it starts to get that's when events start to get darker and more dire. And here he is just like <laughs> singing. He does his intro his introduction is in a little duet with his uh his uh demon. And uh he comes in and has like this with Hester. With Hester. It's like this this dashing bar fight and he's just so fun and theatrical and over the top, but in a way that like works within the world. Uh, it's funny because it's not what what you think of as Lee Scoresby, if you've read the books, Lee Scoresby is kind of this more, like, grizzled. He's charismatic, but he's kind of more, like, salt of the earth. But Lin he's Manuel a Miranda, rude and tootin' cowboy He is a Texas. cowboy. But Lin-Manuel Lin- Miranda is having so much fun with this role. And he and uh, Lyra, Daphne Keen's Lyra, are just so fun together. They have a great push and pull. And uh, he and Hester, too, are kind of like a great buddy comedy. There is a fight sequence. A sequence. I won't, this one's spoilers, but... In the bar fight, when then when we kind of first meet Lin Manuel Miranda, Lee Scoresby, he's fighting and Hester's kind of like cheering him on and like giving him tips, like he's a boxer and she's like a coach, and it is great. It's so fun to watch. It's um one of like the instances where you really see the demons play a big part in the show. I do think that uh, because this is a TV production we don't see the demons as much as they probably would be seen in like real realistically. They kind of disappear for a little bit off, off screen and they appear again as like the budget allows. But um, you do see a lot of that demon interaction really come into play with Lee Scoresby introduction. And it's so fun. Yay. So, I'm so excited. I, um, it really grows There are no really big names voicing the demons. I feel like the only name I recognize is... Um, Helen McRory, who is voicing um, Azriel's demon. Yeah, Stelmari. Um, she, um, she is. I've seen her in plenty, but most people might know her as Narcissa from the Harry Potter franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think they got many other like big names for they the demons' voices. Mm-mm. So it's um, they didn't get that many big names. No, Ellen, Helen McCrory is probably the biggest one, uh, but. I mean, it works. It's not something that I think is, like, the strongest aspect of the series, despite demons being sort of the uh, the f- most central, like, most unique conceit of this world. But, um, right. They're not, like, featuring, like, in the movie where Freddie Highmore voiced Pan, and that yeah. was kind of, like, Freddie Highmore was, like, living that high at that moment, following, like, Finding Neverland and stuff. So, mm-hmm. like, they really, like, pushed that more so in the movie, I felt. Yeah. And wasn't Ian McKellen the polar bear in that he movie? He was, yeah. He was. Yeah, so they got the they got the big names for the movie, and then they're like, "Let's uh, let's get voice actors." Yep. For the basically, but the um, show. yeah, it's fine. It is fine, and like it, it doesn't have to be. The a- the limitations of TV are something that like you have to take in mind, keep in mind when you watch the show sometimes, because like, despite the big budget that HBO is throwing into it, and we see sort of like these big. Uh, landscapes of like Oxford and London and in a way that is a real enticing look at the world because you see how different it is and like you see all the 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 um, not balloons but the um, airships. airships which is really exciting to see so I think that like they put their budget where it's needed and um 
I do like that this the aesthetic of the series has also been updated. Uh, so in the original books and in the movie, it's kind of this Victoriana type of um, aesthetic, but they've actually updated it to be a bit more sort of retro futuristic uh, in a way that's like recalling sort of 50s um, and 60s styles. You see that especially in Mrs. Coulter's world where her apartment is very minimalist and 50s looking. And you see at the end with the in the first episode too with the airship that looks like something out of like a 50s public transport bus or something. So I like that aspect to it too. It's very unique uh, and something that is a little, not, not quite steampunk as you would expect with this world in which the original story did play into, but it's something that's like a n- nice little twist on it, which I enjoy. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited to keep watching. Um, I think, have they already been renewed for season two? They have. They're already yeah, filming yeah, season filming two. It. They've already, already cast it. for season two. Um, you might have seen, but Hot Priest... Oh, right. I yeah. forgot that he was cast for season two. Yeah. and That and is Andrew Scott for Andrew anyone Scott. wondering. Yeah. He is um. cast for season two. And um, you will – it's actually – it's quite surprising and very exciting that in this upcoming episode, in mon- uh, this Monday episode, there are hints towards that those season two events in a way oh, that cool. I didn't anticipate and which will be – I hope, hopefully, like, quite shocking and exciting for even new viewers. So that's a nice little tease for this coming episode. I am excited. Yeah. So since we think that the series, you know, is going to be able to cover the whole series, um, unlike the movie did, let's talk a little bit about, I think, the books to wrap up our episode. Um, maybe what we're looking forward to see being adapted on the screen or elements of the book's you know, later on that you really love. Um, so this is where we might get into some spoilers for those of you who have not read the trilogy, um, the original trilogy. Um, so, yeah, what are you guys looking forward to seeing in the books? Well, of come course, to life. Of course, I'm excited to see Lyra and Will meet. Of course. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to see the different worlds because mm-hmm. they go through quite a few more than just the two. Like, I'm excited to see them do, like, our world and then also, like, Lyra's world at, like, the same time. Because they, like, okay, HC's giving a look. Um, they <laughs> they do a really interesting job of, like, at least in the second book, like, you sort of, like, forget, like, wait, are they talking about our world right now? Like, there's computers involved? And then, like, you get to Will's story and he, like, stumbles upon the parallel universes and all that. And I think that that's quite interesting. And I like the way that they do that. So I'm excited to see how they do that with the TV show. Um, I'm excited for angels and like heavenly creatures of, of, of a higher being communicating Ooh. with humans. Yes. Like in the third book by the time, or even by the second that's, book, they yeah. get into that shit. I'm actually, like, I'm, I'm really excited for their journey into the underworld. Like that was one of my favorite parts yeah. of the series. It's going to be intense, yeah. and I'm so excited. Um, can I just uh, say, I just want to say just one statement. Major spoilers. Um, I just can't wait to see Azriel take on Metatron. Oh, damn. Like, yeah, that Metatron. giant fight. Like, uh-huh, fuck Metatron. Yeah. But also, like, Metatron is also I naked. love you. I, same. Also, I love you, Azriel. I love you. You are my atheist hero that I needed in my dark times. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, I can't. 
I know it's like the end and we have a big journey to get there and there's going to be a lot of wonderful moments along the way. But like, man, that the, the final battle in this series is just so good and so epic. And, you know, like I, I, I want a like battle of Gondor. Like I, I want to feel the epic scale of it. Um, so yeah, I'm, if, I'm excited for that. Game of Thrones, if HBO can give Game of Thrones like a, a blank check for a lot of battles... They can give them and BBC a lot of can bad give. battles too. Like they can, they can get BBC and HBO can give his dark materials the funding they need to showcase a battle between God and humanity. Yeah, I really hope that this world expands dramatic, like the scope expands dramatically. Yeah, because actually, one of my sort of criticisms, I guess, with the first four episodes I've seen is that it feels very small still. And I guess that's in keeping with how the first book played out. It's all very much about Lyra's world and her point of view. Although it feels sort of at odds with that because we don't actually see much of Lyra's point of view in the series so far. So it it feels very small right now. And I hope that they'll be able to go as big as they can and like go as epic and, and grandiose. You sort of... They're sort of, they sort of would do a really, it would take a lot of effort to not do it, mm-hmm. you know? At least by the second and third book, that, the, the storylines that they tell can't, like, unless you just get rid of everything that they do, it's hard to tell that story without showcasing, like, all the bonanza stuff that happens. Like, that one world with, like, those, like, the creatures that, of like, course. kill parents. Oh, no, not the... Not the... Not the... The Sidigas. Yeah, yes. The Spectres. Yeah. Those, I was thinking about the horse the, world. I'm like, I love the horses. The horse You would oh, love the horse, the horse world. <laughs> I remember that happened. I, like, it... Uh, when I, cause, because I was reading it for the first time, like, I had a general understanding of what the first book was about. But by the time I got to the third book, and, like, uh, the... The, the scientist at MIT, no, the 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 Oxford, our our Oxford, Oxford. I can't remember her name, but the scientist there, Mary Malone. She, like, some, yeah, when she stumbles upon that like other world, and like has to, and like that's that's gonna be insane. Yeah. Uh, and Buck Wild, and I just I like I have. I have good, I have faith in this production that they're going to go that book wild because I feel like to not do so would be a huge disservice to what they, what they are setting up mm-hmm. because like if, because if they're, if they really are going for the end game of it all, if they don't show all that bonanza stuff, that's going to be a real disappointment, which I don't like and, it, it. They really have to write themselves into a corner to not do that. Yeah. And I mean, like we said, like earlier, the first episode alone is already doing the big picture thing. Mm-hmm. And like, they've already started talking about like cities in the sky and parallel universes and dust. So like, we're already getting to that kind of stuff, but I think it's easy to kind of slowly build to it because that is really what happens in like the trilogy, like the first book um, yeah. the golden compass is like it's you know it's it's captivating and stuff but it doesn't go buck wild quite yeah. yet like philip pullman kind of holds back in the first book and it's like this this rather simpler plot um contained entirely within Lyra's world um and you know really just um about a girl wanting to have an adventure and see the world and rescue her friend and it really is just that 
you know, while bigger things are kind of starting to rumble, um, but he doesn't go buck wild until it's like a book, and then he just throws you in, and he's like, all right, this is what the series really is, folks. Like, strap in. Um, so I think it'd be easy for the show to kind of, like, slowly kind of ease into that, like he did with the books. Um, just gonna, maybe just not so gonna slowly. Hint, you guys. Just look forward to this Monday's episode. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Do we want to... Do we want to answer the the big question here? I think it's time. Anya, who would your demon be? Um, My demon would be um, a type of canine that is big enough to ride. Um, I'm I'm thinking like a, a, you know, like the size of like a Naga from Legend of Korra, um, but more dog than polar bear. Um, cause I am a dog person through and through. So I'm like, if you can give me like a really big, like wolf or just like a massive, even just like domestic dog, um, that would be my, my demon. I need, I need, I want a demon who is, is loyal and goofy and loves adventure and exploring. Um, but is also fluffy and good at cuddles. So... I don't know if I have a specific, like, animal in mind or, like, a breed or um, anything like that, but I, I know a canine that is big enough to ride. That is my demon. E. So, yes. Sort of a cop-out answer, but there you have it. I need, I need to look up canines. Massive <laughs> canines that I can ride on. Willoughby, what about you? What would your demon be? So for a long time, I was thinking, well, it has to be a dog. But then just this weekend, I sort of came, a- came upon an owl. I, th- I think I would have an owl as my demon. I don't know why, but I'm just drawn to the idea of having an owl. And like, it would be part of my I love that. Conscious. Yeah. Like slightly like more unexpected or like, you know. like, I th- yeah, like I think, I think my like super, my, my first guess would be like, well, it has to be a dog. But then as I like thought it over, like I was really struggling to be like, give, I mean, besides like the, the same reasons that you would, that you gave for a dog. Like I was trying to be like, well, is that, is that what my animal would be? Is, is that what my demon would be? And then like the image of an owl just kept popping up into my brain. I'm like, I think it's an owl. I love that. Yeah. Wow. All right, HD, have you? You know, when I was young, when I first read his deck materials. Yeah, what was your what was your demon? My favorite animal at the time was a dolphin. <laughs> and I was like, my demon would be a dolphin because I How love the water. How difficult would that be? But like, I what know. When you're like living on land. Exactly. I'm like, wow, that would be demons? so limiting. There are sea demons. And a lot, oftentimes it's people who are fishermen or mm-hmm. have some sort of like um, marine or like uh, water-based job. And I remember there was like this uh, one uh, person who's um, mentioned in the book who's like a, a fisherman and he had his demon settled as I think like a some sort of like a whale or not whale like a some sort of sea animal. <laughs> and he was forced he couldn't ever like be too far from the ocean but that's okay because he always felt the ocean calling to him anyways. I like the idea of having a blue whale as your demon because then you ever because you'd have a stay close to them so you'd have to be by the sea or on the sea all the time. But then like if you would do something like 
positive or like good, you know, good for you, the the demon would just be like, "Great job, Jenny." <laughs> I speak well. And then, like, jump and just like splash you with water. Yeah, right. Like you know, the, you know the the that's their um, version of a hug. You know the po- It's like the Pokemon Whale Lord. If that was like the whale from there, he would just jump out of the ocean and be like, "Good job." Um, but yeah, I mean, I as an adult, I never thought of like what my demon would actually be. Um, and I was thinking about it. And, um, I don't know, maybe, like, I, I just kept thinking maybe a, a rabbit. <laughs> because I, I just want, like, a small one that I can tuck into my armpit. And it can cuddle me when I sleep. And, um, I don't know, I, I couldn't think of anything that, like, particularly suited my personality. But I just thought a rabbit would be nice. Even if, the, if they're easy to kill. But they're, they can be a little bit hardy. Like, Lee Scoresby has a rabbit. And, um... Hester, who is just uh, very, as hardy as him and very practical and cool. So, I don't know. Maybe a rabbit. Yeah. I'm, I'm soft and, and in danger of everything, of the world. Oh, no. Like a rabbit. Oh, no. And I'm like a fierce that, nocturnal animal that could turn his neck around. <laughs> and I'm just a goofy, loyal, cuddly, slobbery friend. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yes. Um, one thing I want to talk about, just real quick, I forgot to mention it. I like that they're showcasing more of the Egyptian culture, mm-hmm. uh, like the demon sell, uh, the demon settling ceremony. I thought that was really cool, and it's something that we really don't see too much of. Um, and I like that they're all like birds, yeah. sort of like an interesting like freedom societal, like a societal evolution. Because I feel like. Yeah, demons are supposed to take the shape of our souls. So I guess if you're part of a culture, those souls, soul creatures would be similar. Yeah. Which I never really considered before, which I think is really interesting. And I hope they explore that more. Yeah, I like that, um, especially because they're a nomadic people. And so they're never, you know, settled in one place. And it's also something that you see with people of like common careers too. Like servants usually have like a, a dog or a house cat or something, something that's like, you know, loyal or easy to serve. And it's usually, it's interesting because it's also like indicative of their class too. Um, and uh, so that's that's something that like, I love the way that the demons play into that world and how it's um, more than just your personality, but also like who you are and what you do and who you will become. Um, right. But also- And I have to- I have to say real quick, just I like Anne Marie Duff a lot. She plays Ma Costa. She's a great actress. Mm. Um, and also just like less fun, but just fact, she is James McAvoy's ex-wife. So oh, it's a it's That's a whole family affair. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I did not know that. Yes, I, well, they were didn't look like they were ever on set together. So no, I don't think the Egyptians really ever cross paths with Azrael much. No, although Ma Costa does have Azriel... the um had the past with uh, with uh, Lyra. And yes. So she sure. probably at some point crossed paths with him. But I don't think Azrael would consciously cross paths with Egyptians. He doesn't seem like that type of fella. Nah, he's got, nah. He's got bigger pl- bigger plans in mind. Um, another thing I do like about the Egyptians... Yeah, a little high and mighty. Mm-hmm. He probably thinks a little bit... He's a big... thinks a lot of himself. <laughs> he... Uh, He's thinking he's cool and no, he's not, my father would say. (laughs) 
Um, I another thing I do like about the Egyptians too is that they're a multi-ethnic group, rather than being yeah, like one. I was gonna say that as group. well. Uh, and I like that they're united by their sort of common uh, lifestyle versus being of like one ethnicity, as like it was sort of implied in or suggested in the in the books. And I think it, it works in both ways, but I do like that it's kind of they're doing some more multi-ethnic thing. With the, Agreed the that, that it's more of a community based mm-hmm. around like principles and lifestyle and, um, you know, like morals. And mm-hmm. I, I completely agree. I really liked seeing that. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I'm excited to see more of the Egyptians. I'm excited for you guys to meet uh, Farder Coram, uh, especially, who's played by James Cosmo. You might recognize him from uh, a couple of similar he was in Game of Thrones, I think. Yeah, he was. Well, he's in the pilot. Yeah, he's in the. Pilot. Oh, he is in the pilot. Yeah, okay. he's yeah. He's in the, he's the big guy with the beard, right? Yeah. Oh, right. Oh, he does appear in the pilot. That's true. Yeah, because wasn't he wasn't he the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch before Jon Snow got there? Yeah. Yeah, that's and what he he has a similar sort of comforting gravitas to him that uh, <laughs> brings out, and I love his. He's uh, like, oh, come here! Yeah. I'm I'm in charge. <laughs> I love his interactions too with Lyra. They're great. So. Cool. The casting in the show is so good, and um, I'm excited for you guys to continue. And I, and if you are newcomers to the series and are not quite sure what you make what to make of it yet, I encourage you to at least stick around for a um, couple more episodes. Episode two, three, four is all starts to come to settle into place, and uh, the ball gets rolling, as you would say. And so, it's very so exciting. Would you say that any confusion? At the, in the beginning is sort of assuaged as time goes on, like things could become more clear for people not, who haven't read the books? Not really. <laughs> the oh, intrigue oh. keeps piling on, but I think it does get even more intriguing, so... Okay. Hopefully. Cool. That'll keep them... Keep them... Keep them coming. I think that's a great sounds, way... Sounds good. Yeah, I think that's a great way to wrap up our discussion about His Dark Materials. We went long on this, but you know what? It deserves it. We did. Yeah. So, with that, let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. I really, 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 really like you. Libby, why don't you start us off this week? What do you really like? So... As a cord cutter, I haven't had the chance to watch normal television for all, over a year now. So to find entertainment uh, online or on our TV, on YouTube, uh, uh, my girlfriend and I have resorted to, not resorted to, but we found a, a couple of like online television shows series channels to watch from youtube uh one of them being like polygon uh we watched polygon a lot uh we also watch as as you guys know the buzzfeed unsolved shows um but one that's really sort of hit us uh that we've been watching for a a little bit but really have gone into is the the bon appetit test kitchen uh channel yes uh it is i don't know have we talked about it yet we have not but man this craze is picking up steam the thing is, the shows the shows have been like they're they're like a uh, family of products have been around for like a couple years now, but I feel like just now like it's hitting the millennial like cord Bang. cutting generation now. Yeah. Because like the because I feel like the episodes are, they're gaining they're gaining like steam and stuff. And so the one like I, I 
I guess It's Alive with Brad is the flagship, but I feel like Gourmet Makes has really become the most popular show. It's the one with Claire Savitz, who uh, creates uh, or recreates like junk food and other like forms of like you wouldn't really consider it to be gourmet food. And then she creates she recreates it as gourmet food and food that you and like versions of like Twix or peanut butter cups or Ferrero Rocher's where you can like make at home or make as much at home as you possibly can. Sometimes she makes things that she can't that we can't just recreate at home because like you need to use like a dehydrator or you have to use like, I don't know, like a walk-in fridge that you may not have access to. So like there's certain things that, but like for the most part, they try to keep it to something that you can recreate at home. Uh, And I just think all the personalities on this channel are so cool and they interact with each other on all their different shows. So it's not like they're, 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 they're only like they're, they're fixtures amongst the test kitchen, but they're like, they interact with each other all the time. So like Claire, Brad shows up in a lot of Claire stuff and all that. Um, and most recently they started this, or I guess last year, but uh, it's called making perfect where it's basically the test kitchen editors come like join forces to create uh, the first season was pizza, and the second season is now Thanksgiving dinner. So it's really fun and neat to see these like personalities like bounce off each other, um, and they do really like they're really funny, and like the editing is really cool, and it's basically it's Food Network without the bullshit of television. If that makes anything, like there's not there's no commercials, there's no product placement, there's no they can say whatever they want to say. They're not construed by networks. Um, And so it's sort of this like free flowing, you know, cord cutting version of the Food Network that I really appreciate and have come to uh, enjoy their videos every week or so. So I really like the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen channel. I guess it's just Bon Appetit channel. I just I discovered it when Leah came out to visit me. Um, She put it on and we watched some episodes and I'd never watched it before. And she was uh, we were watching the Gourmet Kitchen with Claire. And it really is just so like just like lovely and fun and easy to watch. I also really like the ones where they have the celebrity guests who like try and make a dish with them. The back like to back, back one. Back. I love yeah. those. Yeah. Those are really I fun. I the Natalie Portman one and that was really funny. Yeah. So I, I completely agree. I think it's, I think it's a really fun new, like uh, new content. Yeah. Content. Hashtag content. <laughs> I, I haven't gotten into Bon Appetit as much as like the rest of the internet has. Uh, I just kind of, would watch it sometimes for recipe, um, for recipes, and also uh, just for the back-to-back celebrity things. I, th- I think it's really fun. I've seen like maybe one episode of the Test Kitchen with Claire, but I, I always really enjoy it. And there's so much. It's so nice and wholesome. And uh, I uh, it's nice yeah, It is nice core. There's never there's never. I mean, there's conflict, but it's always like it's never been like dramatic stakes. Even though it is pretty like. They, they make it look like it's mm-hmm. it's very like tongue in cheek and like uh, irreverent, but also like very wholesome as well. Didn't Bon Appetit cater for American University? I think that was a different Bon Appetit uh, company. Okay. I, 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 if not, uh, that's a little awkward because they're, they didn't have great service. Um, but at least they're, test kitchen personalities are lovely and I can't wait to keep watching more of their show yay all right Anya what about you what do you really like this week all right so based on Willoughby's extremely enthusiastic uh recommendation um 
I have started listening to the podcast, The Adventure Zone. Yes! We'll be so happy. Um, so I did. I, I, I got have, one. <laughs> you did. So I have never been much of a narrative podcast listener. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a D&D person, really. Um, so, you know, it was just kind of never really on my radar, um, though I knew people really liked it, but, you know, Willoughby talked about it and gushed about it and talked about how much he loved it. And so I decided to give it a try because the new season graduation started the end of October. And I thought, okay, new season, you know, completely new storyline. I don't have to know past, um, seasons. And so I was like, all right, I'll start here. And I've not listened to past seasons. I'm not sure if I will. It's a big commitment. Um, but I am really enjoying graduation so far. Um, it's yes. really fun. This family, this this group of very good-natured, wholesome men are so delightful and funny and charming. And I really like that, like, it is much more just, like, kind of storytelling than it is, like, hardcore D&D. Like, they occasionally roll for things, but it, it is a much smaller part of the podcast than I thought it was. Um and I also just love the premise of this new season. So it's called Graduation, and it takes place at this school for heroes and villains. And there is an annex to the school uh, for sidekicks and henchmen. Um, and our three main characters are all students at the annex school, um, where they are sidekicks or henchmen. And it's just really well-produced and really funny. And, you know, I get a good big kick out of it. And my favorite character, ugh, his name is Sir Fitzroy Maplecourt. I love him so much. He is one of the students at this annex, and you find out that he is actually a failed hero. So he was trying to be a hero at first, and now he's in the sidekick school. And I love him. He's so funny, and he's, like, very elitist and pompous and charming and delightful. Um, and, you know, he's, he's, he's my sad son, not unlike one Kendall Roy of HBO's Succession. There it is. I should, I should I was edit wondering in a little, how. like, musical cue whenever you introduce Succession. I should just do, like, like a... The, just do, like, the Seinfeld, like, <laughs> song. <laughs> the Seinfeld uh, music cue. Um, zero days since last uh, Succession yeah. incident. I was wondering how you would um, work that in. <laughs> so, you know, uh, that, that trope of the, uh, the, the, sad, the sad failed boy um, who, is, who is good, inherently good, um, maybe not inherently. Is um, he though? No, he's not. He's more good than his father. I don't know. Um, Are we easier to Troy or Kendall? Uh, <laughs> easier to root for than other characters. He would he is is he the type who like would have been good if he were born under any other circumstances? Probably. Okay. I right. get it. That I get idea it. Of, like this, this, this sad failed um, potential hero, like a a possible good guy who has the potential for like greatness and goodness and like justice, um, but has uh, circumstances have 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 challenged them. Um, so you know, Sir Fitzroy, the Kendall Roys, my little sad sons. Um, they're my favorites. I love them, um, and so. Um, but I also really like the Adventure Zone, and I'm so excited for the season to keep going. And 
I am really, you know, charmed by it. I was afraid at first I wasn't going to be able to get into it because I, I kept getting distracted and I was like, oh, narrative podcasts are maybe just not for me. Um, but as the episode went on, I found myself really sucked in and really able to just enjoy it and kind of like escape for an hour or so and just let my mind drift off to this world. So I'm excited to listen to more. And these these brothers and their dad are just, they're very charming. They're so lovely. Yep. They just, they feel so wholesome. Yep. And I've been I've been praising them for two years on the podcast. So like you don't have to hear me talk about them again, but I will say that uh all their their family of products are really good. Each brother has a podcast they do with their wife, uh each each wife of theirs. Um and and like it's all those are also very wholesome content. Uh their main podcast, my brother, my brother and me, is just them doing goofs uh for an hour and uh the, their television show was the same version of that, but just they did it in their hometown of Huntington, West Virginia. Anya, you should definitely watch that. That's only six episodes. Okay, uh, I will. I want to listen to My Brother, My Brother, and Me Too now. Um, but that's, I definitely... That's, that's great. And the thing is, you don't have to worry about, like, paying attention too much. Like, right. it's just... It's just goofs. Like, that's all they do is, like, they take, a, they take quote-unquote advice questions. They're real questions that people submit, but then they just, they don't give real answers. They just give goofy answers the entire time. Um, and, yeah, and they they started up a podcast with their dad in which they do D&D, and it has spawned two graphic novels, and uh, multiple, like, a, they're, they continue to do it after that first campaign wrapped up. And with different campaigns and so i'm proselytizing uh the mcelroy products as much as i can and i'm, I'm very glad that you were able to uh get on board anya uh, yes i maybe, mean got that sir fitzroy i love him maybe i'll get around to it i am going on a trip uh a two-week trip soon to vietnam and i will have a very long plane ride ahead of me so maybe Maybe I'll download a couple episodes for the 18-hour plane trip. So, is it a wait? Is it 18 hours of flight? Yeah, about to Vietnam. It's like halfway across the okay, world. Okay, that's about. You could probably get in 17 episodes of the adventure. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's um maybe yeah. Just that. Just an FYI, by the way, to our to our listeners, I will be gone for the next like maybe three weeks actually of episodes so uh i'll miss you guys and um but of course we'll still be having episodes with anya and willoughby hosting yeah and potentially and, some guests. Know, I'll, just, I'll, I'll just edit you in uh through earlier episodes i'll deep fake you in to, yeah you know so that... how about i do some reactions now yeah wow okay that sounds great i agree Perfect. awesome <laughs> Now, okay, give me your reaction to, uh, oh, uh, the fourth episode of His Dark Materials. Go. Lin-Manuel Miranda. Lin-Manuel Miranda. Ah! Okay, now give me your reaction to Hamilton. Lin-Manuel Miranda. Ah! Okay, now give me your reaction to, I don't know, <laughs> this is very fun. Uh, okay, H.T., what is your really like for this week? Hey, Anya, actually, um, I wanted to ask you this. Have you oh. heard of Lore Olympus? 
have I heard of Laura Olympus? Have I been reading it since day one and I love it so much and I'm so excited it's becoming a TV series and it's only like the best thing ever and I look forward to each new chapter every week. Have I read Laura Olympus? Yes, yes, I have actually. Uh Um, I don't know why, but I have apparently missed it. Missed like the whole Laura Olympus sort of train. I'm so upset at myself for for, like not... I'm so upset at myself for not being like, HC, you need to read this. I'm like, so well, how, why did I not recommend it to you? I don't know. I don't um, know. Um, but anyways. Philippa talk about it. retweets it all the time. Oh, I, yeah. I'm Philippa surprised you haven't talked to it. I don't know. Maybe I was just like, oh, that's that weird uh, Afri- uh, Persephone and Hades thing that everyone talks about, but is also like, I'm above that. Well, Okay. So I have always prided myself in in be and not really being into the whole Hades and Persephone sort of romanticization of their relationship. Um, I've kind of you know uh, abided by the whole original Greek myth of it. Uh, A lot of it it's often been referred to as the taking of Persephone, um, the rape of Persephone. So it's something that I never really wanted to get into in terms of like romanticizing what I or rather what I thought was like. A relationship that you know in in mythology is based in abduction but there have been some great creative works that have spawned from that that uh, uh you know modernize it a little bit and make it something that is kind of catnip for me and uh i that this all comes down to me saying i stumbled on lore olympus recently and i was like oh, of course like that tumblr you know, a romanticization of Hades and Persephone as being like this great, beautiful thing. And I was like, whatever. And then somehow I end up reading all like 84 chapters of it in one day. And I was, I, I, I like it, guys. And, um, Dang. it's so good. It's, it's, <laughs> the thing is, I've always loved Greek mythology. I think I've talked to Anya about this before, where I had like this whole. I went on this whole Greek mythology bender. I think it was because I was watching a bunch of TEDx videos about Greek mythology. I'm like, man, I really miss Greek mythology. And I asked Anya for like advice on books I could read about the sort of like revisionist Greek mythology. And yet she never recommended to me Lore Olympus. Dang. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's I, okay. I feel like I failed you. <laughs> I mean, like, I do sort of read it from a distance because it does very much feel to me like that sort of Tumblr 2012 fangirl thing. And I I do think some of it is a little bit more along the lines of a kind of not surface level or shallow, but a little bit twee, I guess you would say. Um, but it is incredibly charming. And uh, the art style is very cute. And um, the characterization of the... Greek gods as it's kind of like a modern AU version of it. It's basically fan fiction, um, like Hades and Persephone, a modern AU fan fiction. And despite sort of me like scoffing over that, it is very appealing and very sweetly written. And um, the author of this ongoing web comic, uh, Rachel Smith, does a really great job of giving these really unique personas and personalities to all of the Greek myth, uh, Greek gods and doing these really interesting sort of revisionist takes on it that I find actually quite uh, interesting and, and exciting. Um, I like that too. It's not just about Hades and Persephone. It's also about the entire sort of Greek pantheon. 
Sorry, it's, just, it's pantheon. Okay. <laughs> and you Greek. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's, it's really cool to see sort of her takes on the myth of uh, Eros and Psyche, for example. And um, so I, I'm, I'm liking it. And uh, now I'm caught up. And now I'm along. I'm waiting with the rest of the plebs for like every weekly update. And I'm like, what's happened to me? Am I like re- reverted back to my 2012 Tumblr self? Is this what's happening? But it is really charming and really like cute and and. Yeah, really uh, appealing and compelling, and I'm. I think I will tune into that um, Jim Henson produced uh, TV series, animated series that's uh, coming out of it. So yeah, uh, that's just me saying. So I'm, I'm so I'm, glad you're I'm reading, reading it. New Olympus now. <laughs> I'm so excited, and I mean, like, it is really cute and tweeted, but there are some. I really like some of the the deeper stuff it explores, like mm-hmm. the the toxicity of like Minthe and like her friendship with Thetis and like. Um, the whole Apollo and Persephone thing. Yeah. Um, I will say, so... I really like the characterization of Minthe. I think it's like the most Same. interesting and mature thing that the series has done because it doesn't, it doesn't totally uh, condemn her, but it doesn't also, it also like, it makes her a real, it makes her sympathetic, but at the same time, it doesn't completely like say that she's... It doesn't excuse her. It doesn't excuse her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, no, I completely agree. And I'm, I'm so excited. And also, Psyche is my favorite goddess. And so like when I, when I saw that they were, she was going to do the Psyche and Eros story, I was very happy because I love Psyche very much. She is the goddess of the soul for anyone who does not know, um, since she is a minor goddess, but I love her. Um, but yeah, it's it's so good, and I'm so glad you're reading it. Yeah. Anyways, this is me half saying I like Lore Olympus and half uh, uh, critic not criticizing, half uh, berating Anya for not telling me about it. That is completely fair. I deserve it. I'm 100% deserve it. So I, I have I have failed as a friend, and I will strive to do better in the future. Um, and this is for everyone listening. Go read Lore Olympus if you are not already, because it is very good. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that is our episode for the week. If you guys have any thoughts you want to share with us um, about his dark materials, either the TV show or the book series, uh, come chat with us. Or if you want to chat with us about things you're really liking or things we're really liking, like the Bon Appetit YouTube channel or Lore Olympus or the Adventure Zone. So come chat with us. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. And you can rate, review, subscribe, and listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. And where can they find you guys on the internet? You can find me at htranbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenden on Twitter. And you can find me at Tommy Hoops on Twitter. <laughs> All right. Uh... Thanks for joining us, guys. (laughs) Bye. Bye! (laughs) Tommy Hoops.